right. Well, uh, once again, we are gathered to, uh, to, to celebrate Christ the King coming into our world as one of us. And so I want to open up God's Word uh, together. And if you'd stand with me, if you're able, follow along as I read the words of the old, old story here from Luke chapter 2. This is what the Word of God says. In those days, a decree went up from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, to the, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lay, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you that that you who dwell in unapproachable light, who no man has ever seen or can see, he who dwells in glory, took on flesh, became a man, and lived as one of us, and came not in glorious uh, regalia and terrifying appearance, became weak and covered in water and blood. Became a child, an infant, one of us. Became helpless. That you might be the, the greatest help to us that we have ever known. That you might save us from sin and death and hell. And Father, we are still pondering and wondering how these things can be. How it can be that 
that omnipotence fits in a, a womb of a little girl. And how he who knows all things could fit in a, in, a, in a baby who has to learn. And how that all goes together is too big and too wonderful for us to comprehend. But Father, this we know to be true, that God became a man and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And we know that that happened at Christmas. For our, our, our salvation, for our deliverance. And we rejoice in it. Father, help us to rejoice even more as we look closely at this story today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, it might not be readily apparent to you because you have heard it so many times, but the way that Luke records Jesus' birth is in some ways a direct challenge to the Roman Empire that rules at this time. Uh, when Julius Caesar died, there was an immediate power struggle that took place to fill the vacuum. Uh, you've heard some of these names from history. You've heard about Mark Antony, heard about Cleopatra, you've heard about, uh, maybe you've heard about Octavius or Octavian and these folks that just struggled for power. There was a civil war that went on because Rome prior to Julius had been a republic and then he adopted his great nephew a man named Octavius, or sometimes he's called Octavian, and he wanted to be king. He wanted to be the, the emperor. Um, and he eventually fought to, uh, to victory, uh, killed Anthony and Cleopatra and all their armies and all the rest of that, and uh, obtained power, and, and that began a 40-year period in Roman history called the Pax Romana. Remember this? You hear this? And, and the, the guy who, um, who achieved that, this man named Octavius, uh, he didn't want to be called Octavius. He wanted to be called Caesar Augustus. You know what Augustus means? It means the revered one, the holy one. If he wanted to be worshipped, as a god and he viewed himself as the coming of a god into the world now it happens to be historically accurate which is why luke records it this way that it was during the reign of caesar augustus caesar the holy one that there was a different king that was born when Caesar Augustus was born, the man who became Caesar Augustus, the entire Roman world rejoiced because Julius would have an heir, a designated successor, right? When Jesus was born, nobody noticed. Just a kid born in a barn to a couple peasants. Amen? But Luke is making a statement here. He says, in fact, Caesar, during his reign, he had inscriptions made around the Roman Empire that referred to him as, you may have heard this title too, Savior of the World. That's pretty bold. 
I'm the God. I'm the Savior of the world. Um, he brought peace everywhere within those borders. And I think, I think Luke is intentionally highlighting that historical background to point out the contrast between Caesar and between the birth of God's own son, who is indeed the real holy king. Unlike Caesar, who fought his way to power and killed all of his enemies and called the result peace, Jesus is the rightful heir. He is the son of David, born in Bethlehem. Unlike Caesar, Jesus is not born surrounded by courtiers and opulent wealth, but in a stable surrounded by animals and all of their associated smells and filth. He is born in questionable circumstances, the son of a woman betrothed but not yet married. He's wrapped not in furs and silk, but in swaddling cloth and laid not in a noble bed, but in an animal feed trough. And yet it's this child, this humbly born descendant of a great king, who is the actual only holy king that is worthy of the name. Because in this scene right here, where this little baby is born and laid in this little manger, is the big G God of all creation being born. Not the self-proclaimed little G God strutting about the palace in Rome. And that, in a sense, is the wonder and mystery of the Incarnation in a nutshell that the only God that there is would stoop this low to be born not just one of us, but as one of the least of us. One of the least of us. And we can add to the humble circumstances of his birth the fact that his birth is good news for all people. You would think that when the King of Kings is born that his servants would herald his birth first to the great and powerful. Amen? Like, if you had if you had myriads of angels at your disposal to go and announce that you were here, where would you go? Well, you'd go to the places where the news would spread the most widely, right? To the people in power and influence. To the You would go to the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Times of London, and you would make this announcement, and you would make sure that those in the halls of power were aware that there was a new sheriff in town, amen? And you were here. What happens instead? An angel, first of all, singular angel at the beginning, shows up to a bunch of shepherds outside the village where the king is born. Now, you may think, well, that's, that's kind of cool, you know. Uh, you know, Jesus is depicted as the good shepherd in the, in the Bible, and, and that's true. But you need to understand that in, in, in the social strata of the day, like you had lepers at the very bottom, and shepherds were like the next rung up the ladder from that. Everybody who was a shepherd was regarded as a thief and a lowlife. And so that's where God says, hey, angels, 
Go down and tell the shepherd. Isn't that amazing? He went to the complete opposite end of the social spectrum from what you and I would go to, right? Why? Because the coming of Jesus is good news for all people. For all people. Not just the ones in power, not just the great and the good, but the ones that everybody else regards as the scum of the earth. The people of no account. The people who are counted with the lepers as at the bottom of society. Those are the people that Jesus loves. And those are the people that Jesus ensures the angel goes and makes his announcement to. And in fact, that's what the angel tells them, that the coming of Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. Amen? Can I just say I find that wonderfully comforting? Because what it tells us is that even in the coming of Jesus, even in his birth, there's this emphasis that God is making on grace. And if you're wondering if you're the kind of people whom God regards as important, look at who he came to tell first. The people that everybody regarded as the worst and least important people in the world. That's who God wanted to know. The good news is what? Well, the good news is the Savior has been born. Look at verses 11 to 15 here. Unto you is born. Unto who? Unto the lowly and the despised. Unto every kind of people. God's grace reaches so low that no one can sink beneath his grasp. Where is he born? He's born in the city of David. Why? Because he is the king who was promised, the descendant, the line of David. He is a savior who is Christ, the Lord. That is, the child who has been born is the Messiah, but also the Lord himself. It is God in the flesh that has come down and been born a child in a in a in a, in a, in a a virgin's womb in a barn laid in a manger. It's God himself. He is the God and King and Savior, the one who saved from sin and death and hell, but also the one who is Lord and who rules over all things as Lord. And he is the one to whom we bow in service and in worship. Amen? So that's the announcement. This is what's happened. How will, the, how will the shepherds know that these things are true? Well, look for this sign. I love this. Whenever, whenever the, the angels in Scripture uh, tell somebody something that is too good to be true, they say, well, how do I know what to look for? Well, I'm going to give you a sign. This is the sign, guys. In other words, here's your sign. All right? Um, uh, listen, guys, this is how you're going to get it. Where's the sign? Well, the sign is this. Look for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Now, that's not a place to look for babies. 
right? These guys are shepherds. They know they have been feeding they have been feeding sheep for their whole lives. Have they ever seen an infant in an animal trough? No. Chickens, maybe. Uh, you know, might have an, an athletic sheep that crawls up into in, into that thing. Sure, but a baby wrapped up by his mama and laid in a feed trough? Who does that? No one does that. So this kid is going to be easy to find. So when they get to when they get to um, when they get to Bethlehem, Bethlehem's not that big of a village at this point in history. It's still not that big of a place to this day. But they get there, they start asking around, where's the baby in the feed trough? Well, the most logical place to start looking is at the stables, right? So we'll go down to the barn and we'll look around and we'll see if there's any babies in here, right? Oh, there's the one. I guess this must be the baby, right? That's weird. Don't miss the strangeness of what they're being asked to do, <laughs> okay? This is not a normal circumstance, but it's there as a sign so that they can know and verify the truth of what they've just been told. That this is the king. And could there be anything more incongruous with who this person is and where he is located? This is the God of all creation. The living Word of God by whose power the universe was made as lying helpless in a feed trough in Bethlehem, in Judea, in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. It's an amazing thing. And yet it's true. This is the Savior of the world. This is the great King of all creation. And I love verses 13 to 15 here. It says, And suddenly... And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Now, a multitude is uh, one of those imprecise numbers. Okay? Uh, like... Uh, you know, a, a, a whole bunch, a zillion, okay? How many angels do you think showed up? I, I like to think it was all of them, <laughs> okay? <laughs> However many there, how many angels are there, Pastor? I don't know, but I think they all showed is what happened because they all want to roll in this part of the drama of our redemption. They all show up. And they are all praising God. And saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Can you imagine what that was like? I, I, I can't imagine but I, I imagine in, in, in that, that for a brief moment that that dark night sky, and this was in a time when there are no electric lights, the brightest thing that anybody has ever seen in the night is fire. And then all of a sudden, 
the night sky opens up and it's the brightest thing anyone has ever seen. It's like the sun coming up and all of these angels fill the sky. You know, Prophet Isaiah says, what does it sound like, by the way? I'm going to tell you. Prophet Isaiah says that he sees the seraphim. In Isaiah 6, he says that he sees the seraphim. Seraphim is not a name. It's a, it's a description. It means burning ones. I saw these angels that were on fire with the glory of God. And he says, and they, they had two wings that covered their faces and two that covered their feet and two they were flying and they were shouting out to one another something. And it says, at the sound of their voices, the, the foundations of the temple were shaken. Okay. I don't know how many seraphim there were, but they're not described in the Bible. These creatures, these creatures with six wings are not described as numerous. I think there's like four of them. Okay, and the sound of their voices is enough to, to shake the temple to its foundations. The foundation stones of the temple, some of them are 200 and some tons. But their, their voices shake the temple. So when all of the heavenly angels show up and start shouting glory to God in the highest to a bunch of shepherds on a hillside, I don't know if they're just deafened for a minute or what happens exactly, right? But I got to believe that the ground shakes, right? The most impressive thing I've ever seen at night was a rocket launch down in Florida. Um, we watched one of these, uh, it was actually a shuttle launch back when they still had the space shuttle. We were out, we were, we were uh, down in New Smyrna Beach. And it, this was what it was like, okay? You stand on the beach, and it's completely dark because down there they make you shut off all the lights for the turtles, right? So it's completely dark, and then all of a sudden you look to the south, and it looks like the sun. And there's this giant fireball. And then you watch what appears to be a ship about this big, followed by a column of fire this long, go up into the sky. And then after you can't see it anymore, where you're standing shakes for 30 seconds. It's the wildest thing in the world. It's, I highly recommend it if you ever get a chance to see it. Okay, Because when that happens, it's impressive, right? I don't know again. I don't know what happens when when all or a bunch or several, however many a multitude is, of the heavenly host shows up and starts shouting in my face about glory to God in the in the highest. But this is an impressive scene. Okay, don't picture little floating winged angel babies, you know, kind of floating around going. Glory to God. You know, that's not that's not the scene. You you feel me? Okay, that's not that's not how this looks. This is like these guys, this is the something they never forgot. 
the rest of their lives, and while it was happening, were probably terrified, slapped to death. Okay? I don't know, I, I don't know what this is like, but it's amazing. And again, remember, this is God's grace. This is God. Who am I going to make the announcement to? Well, let's go make it to the people no one else regards as anything important. I think that's just fascinating. Remember how I mentioned that Octavian made people call him Augustus Caesar? Caesar the Holy One. And the time that he ruled was famously called the Pax Romana, the Roman Peace. The doors to the temple of the god of war in Rome were shut for 40 years because there were no wars being fought. But that was because in all of his wars, Augustus had slaughtered or enslaved people by the hundreds of thousands until there was no one left to oppose him. So his Pax Romana was a despot's peace, a dictator's peace, a Hitler's peace. But Jesus' birth is the coming of a different kind of a king of peace. It's about peace with God despite our sin. It's about peace between very different kinds of people as they're adopted into God's own family. It's ultimately about the peace that comes when God brings an end to every tyrant and tin-pot dictator and wannabe ruler who temporarily usurped his authority over this earth. Peace on earth is coming because the Prince of Peace has come. And when they recover sufficiently, to be able to think and do anything, the shepherds do the only logical thing. They get up, because I do think they probably knocked them on the ground. <laughs> okay. They get up and they go to see the child. And when they go, they find the baby and Mary and Joseph, and they relay to them all the wonderful things that they have seen and heard. And of course, they tell everyone else who will listen all they've seen and heard and about the angels and the announcement and the child and Mary and Joseph. I mean, think about how many people you would tell if this happened to you. Right? I mean, like if I get a good meal at a restaurant, I probably tell 20 people, right? I've never had a multitude of the heavenly hosts show up and yell at me while I'm at my job in the dark. Okay, But I think I would might mention that to a few folks, right? You know, like, like what are you going to tell by way of stories that's ever going to one-up this one, right? It's like, well, you know, well, I really enjoyed, you know, scuba diving in the Maldives. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you about the time that angels showed up at my job. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, this is an amazing thing. And they, too, they tell everybody they know. Everybody who will hold still for long enough. 
to let them tell them about all they've seen. We saw the Messiah. We saw Him on the night He was born. And we had the announcement made to us by a bunch of angels. How many were there? A lot. What was it like? It was amazing. Let me tell you. Right? And I'm sure that most people probably wrote off these shepherds because, again, these are the people that everybody else regards as, you know, a little better than lepers and lowlifes, right? And they probably just were like, yeah, these shepherds, you know, they get lonely out there in the hills and start drinking and seeing stuff, you know. But they probably wrote all that off. But this really happened. And these guys can't wait to tell everybody that they encountered about all that they've seen because this is the coming of good news for all people. Amen? Luke describes it as they they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. Sometimes I, I wonder what it would have been like to like go back to your job after that. Right? Like how do you like are you just I mean I don't think you're ever the same, right? Sometimes I wonder if they live long enough to, to join the early church and tell their stories. Or if maybe Luke got these things from Mary later on. We know that Mary did ponder and treasure all these things in her heart. I don't. I have lots of questions that I'd like to ask. When I get the glory, I think I'd like to sit down with some of these guys and be like, "So tell me, how amazing was it?" <laughs> you know, by then I'll see, I'll know what angels look like by then, right? But I also want to know, like, describe it to me. Tell me what it was like to see the sky open up in the darkness of that hillside. Here's what I'd know for sure, though. That the name that the child was given at his circumcision eight days later is more than simple coincidence. It is prophetic. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name that Jesus has given, which is this one, Yeshua. Yahweh saves. He saves through himself. The child born in the manger in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary whose betrothed husband played midwife in a barn whose birth was heralded by the angelic realm and a bunch of stinky no-account shepherds. It was in this remarkable, humble, seemingly unlikely way that the true Savior of the world, the true Holy King, the real Savior and Lord of all the earth was born. And he is worthy not just of our worship, but of entrusting with our entire lives. He is God's greatest gift to all humanity. We're going to open gifts at my house tomorrow morning. And I know because my family loves me, there's going to be some fun stuff that I'll get to open, right? And I'll hopefully get to see expressions of joy on 
spaces of my kids and on sharing space when they open stuff from me. But here's what's even better than all of that. It's the greatest gift that we all enjoy together as a family. The fact that we have put Jesus at the center of each of our lives. We've entrusted all of our lives to Him because Jesus is God's greatest gift to humanity. His birth is good news for all kinds of people, from the high and mighty and the great houses and halls of power to the lowliest homeless person. Jesus and His coming is good news for all people. It's through faith in Jesus that we find real and lasting peace. It's through faith in Jesus that we find forgiveness of our sins. It's faith in Jesus that brings us joy that nothing in the world can take away. And men and women, boys and girls, my prayer for you today is that if you don't yet know the peace that giving your life to Jesus brings, that today you would experience it. And it's very simple. It's very simple to receive it. It is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was born in the, the baby in the manger, but he didn't stay there. He grew. He became a man. He taught amazing things with the authority of the one who is the author of the book. Because he is the author of the book. He is God in the flesh. He is God become a man. And he allowed himself to be put to death on a cross to die in your place and in my place to pay the penalty for our sins. But he didn't stay dead either. He was raised from the dead to give eternal life to everyone who puts their trust in him. And if you've never done that, let me make it very clear. Salvation is not found by being a good person. If it were true that you could be uh, you could be saved by being a good person, we would actually be in a lot more trouble. Because the world does not divide, like a lot of people think, between good people and bad people, but between bad people and Jesus. He's the only good person that there has ever been. Everybody else is just a sinner. To varying uh, greater and lesser degrees, right? And so by God's standard, we're all bad people. And what we need is the one good person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to die in our place and offer us new life. So don't trust in your good works. Don't trust in your church attendance on Christmas Eve as much as we're excited to have you here. Don't trust in the fact that you are nicer than most people or other folks that you know Trust in Jesus Christ. Because salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is it. He's the only way. And if you put your trust in Jesus, I can promise you, you will find joy and life and eternal salvation. But there isn't another way. My prayer for uh, those of us who already know Jesus is that God would renew our wonder today and tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas. Cause us to reflect and ponder and be amazed again 
at how God became flesh and dwelt among us, becoming one of us, that He might save us from sin and death and hell and make us instead children of God. Amen? Because that's, a, that's an amazing, mysterious, true reality. And I never get tired of being amazed by it. That God would become a person like me. That a person like me might be saved by Him. Amen? So let's pray, and then let's rejoice together. God, our Father, thanks first of all for giving me strength today to proclaim Your Word. You know I haven't felt well in several days and you've enabled me to come and rejoice and be with my family, celebrate with my brothers and sisters the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is born to set His people free. And Father, I, I thank You also that for the bigger and much greater thing the fact that you would condescend to become one of these creatures that you made out of dirt once upon a time to redeem the likes of us. Father, we rejoice in these things. We rejoice in the fact that you love us that much. And we're so in awe of your great grace that loves the lowliest and the least and comes to them, as well as for those who are rich and powerful, they will humble themselves enough to bow their knee before you. And Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.